What is up, people, and thank you for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Hero Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stu. We got a lot to get to this week. This is, of course, our uh, special Daredevil Season 3 recap episode. So um, we're going to spend an extended amount of time talking about Daredevil Season 3. We just finally wrapped up the season. It actually was probably one of the quicker uh, turnarounds in terms of a series debuting and then our review. What is this? Is this two weeks or a week? That was a week. It was a week, right? Yeah. So we... (laughs) I finished it the first weekend. (laughs) So we we moved quickly, and it was very easy to move quickly through these episodes. So that gives you a little hint of what we thought of Season 3. But we'll talk all about that later on in the show. To start, we'll have plenty of topics. Uh, To start with, we'll talk about Kevin Feige's update on some of the uh, situations revolving Avengers 4. We got some casting news in Avengers 4. Um, there was also some reporting regarding uh, a potential uh, 2020 slate from Marvel that we'll discuss and an update on a much talked about but not much uh, ado uh, DC movie project, much like a lot of their projects these days. Joining me, as as always, are, of course, my brother, starting with Shamari Stewart. Shamari, um, you talked about how you were the first person to finish Daredevil amongst us. What did you? Uh, what was your initial uh thoughts on that what are you looking forward to talking about on the show oh uh, well daredevil my initial thoughts of daredevil um i mean i think daredevil is just it, it's just a, such a well done show all around i think um and i think the show the showrunner uh i think it was named eric olsen or, mm-hmm. or, yeah and he he did a spectacular job of t- kind of taking the reins of this show and bringing it um kind of bringing it all home and bringing all the characters back together and making it still feel new and fresh. So I look forward to talking more about that um, uh, when we get into the review. Um, but uh, as for what else I'm looking forward to talking about in the show, I mean, we got we got a couple uh, pieces of news. We got some interesting stuff with Avengers 4, some things leading people to come up with theories about Avengers 4, um, and some little uh, some other pieces of news. So I'm looking forward to talking about that stuff. All right, join us, of course, as well. It's Kendall Stewart. Kendall, what are you looking forward to talking about today? Yeah, obviously, uh, Daredevil Season 3, very interesting topic in the uh, in this industry this week. Um, I just finished watching it, you know, not too long ago, a couple hours ago. So um, I have a good idea of, you know, my opinions of the series, especially the later half of the series, and I uh, can't wait to talk about that. Plus, we have some interesting uh, Marvel, you know, Avengers news, so that should be fun. But some lighter, uh, maybe more unfortunate news uh, came out of Warner Brothers when this week it was revealed that uh, Teen Titans Go to the movies, which was the Teen Titans Go movie uh that came out this summer uh will likely end up be will be getting a sequel or seemingly be getting a sequel called teen titans versus teen titans go and that comes off the heels of that movie in which there was a post-credit scene that suggested that teen tight that the original teen titans would be coming back possibly for a fifth season uh, of the series but uh, this new movie suggested that's probably what that post-credit scene was about. Whether it's a TV special or a feature film, theatrical release, has yet to really be determined. But we know it'll come out in 2019. and uh, It's a little bit of a bummer. 
you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see these characters, the original Teen Titans, one last time, but you also would have liked to have seen an actual story revolving around those characters. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would have hoped that they would have pulled the trigger on uh, a real Teen Titans reboot. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I'm not convinced that this doesn't mean the show is still coming back. Because uh, we always talk about test balloons and things like that. The only thing, though, is that uh, how many test balloons are they going to give for the Teen Titans? I mean, we thought Teen Titans Go was a test balloon. That didn't. That was not the case. Teen Titans Go has now been a flourishing property that remains a solid uh, entity on Cartoon Network. We thought the Titan Show might be a test balloon, and that is actually just its own show, and yeah, doesn't justice. seem like anything's coming from that. Young Justice could have been a test balloon, and that was not the case. And we thought that the Teen Titans, then we thought, like, well, that teaser definitely, of all things, could have been a test balloon, and maybe that's not the case. Okay, so they're doing a movie. I mean, look, it's better than not having anything. And it, this would be the test balloons of all test balloons. If, if a show doesn't come out of it after this, so this movie, then we're never getting that again. That show back again. I mean, I, I think that this is, um, I think this is just one of those things where it's just a studio that just wants to do what it wants to do. You know, I mean, the, the, the people clearly want Teen Titans but back. Why don't and, why, why why does it seem like they're they're Shamari? They're they're. We talk about it all the time. Shout out to Jalen Rose, and because this is a term he uses a lot. Why does it seem like DC still seems to want to resist giving the people what they want? Because that because nobody wants this. The little kids that watch Teen Titans go have no interest in seeing the old Teen Titans. The people who watch Teen Titans, the old one, have no interest in seeing them interact with the Teen Titans go characters. Yeah. So why do you feel like they keep not giving the people what they want? And like they've created good stuff out of it. I mean, Teen Titans Go is a successful show, regardless of whether or not I wanted it or like mm-hmm. it. So why do you feel like they continue to kind of resist just giving the people what they want? Why do they? Why does it feel like they have to go off the beaten path when it comes to things like this? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think they underestimate how popular the original Teen Titans was. That's the only thing that I can think of that they just don't know. They look at the popularity of Teen Titans Go, which it is popular, I mean, amongst, I guess, uh, children, kids, and whatnot, you know. Um, and, you know, the show is doing well. Cartoon Network kind of, that's, like, always on Cartoon Network, it seems. So, you know, they're, that's kind of, like, their flagship yeah, show yeah, now. I was, I, yeah, I would argue it is their flagship show. Yeah. So, I mean, Teen Titans Go is, just like, it, it, at this point, it kind of is Cartoon Network. So, um you know, they're, they're, they would never consider replacing, I, or I wouldn't think that they would consider replacing the original, the Teen Titans go with the original Teen Titans. So someone must have pitched like, hey, you know, people still want the old Teen Titans. Why don't we combine them? Which I don't think that's a good pitch. But they must have been like, oh, yeah, okay. And then now they're doing this, which, again, I think it's just studio heads kind of just coming up with their own idea that they think is what people want when it's not what people want. And I know, Kendall, a lot of times creatives want to try to, you know, push themselves, uh, push themselves. So I think there is the idea that perhaps creators at DC feel like it'd be lazy to just go back to the formula of the old Teen Titans, and that this is a way to kind of maybe meet everyone in the middle. But I don't know if you really get anything creatively stimulating with this. Like if this is the result. I don't find this intriguing at all. I don't know anyone who finds this intriguing. See, it's interesting because this conversation, I think, would be a lot worse. At least my opinions on this would be a lot worse if 
the Teen Titans Go movie was awful. Because that was almost universally a liked movie, there is part of me that wants to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that I'd rather see this than a generic sequel to that movie. Oh, and, yeah, for sure. You know, I don't know if I'll, I mean, I'll have to see the original Teen Titans Go movie at some point. I mean, I don't, probably don't even have to see this movie, but, um, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't, I can't say for a fact I'm not going to see this movie, you know, especially if it gets good reviews. Um, so with that being said, maybe, uh, maybe I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they do have a, a good story or a good movie that they feel like would be popular on their hands. I don't know if that's the case, but I also didn't think that a Teen Titans Go movie was a good idea. They did a great job with that. Um, I think this is a better better idea than just giving a Teen Titans Go a movie. So um, from that perspective, I think it's a positive. It's just we got our hopes up a little too high about the, the full return of the Teen Titans. And this also this makes sense considering there was a lot of talk before the movie even came out from the actors and actresses. Uh, in that movie and from the Teen Titans franchise that if you guys want to see the Teen Titans return, you should support this movie. And at the time, I was like, I can kind of see a connection, but I don't think they're, you know, I don't think that relationship is fully, uh, you know, like, I don't think it's symbiotic. I don't think, like, you really need that movie to do great to bring back the Teen Titans and it really makes sense. But... Mm -hmm. And now it makes a lot more sense considering, well, if this is just a sequel to the original movie, then they're not going to give a sequel to a bad movie or a movie that did bad. Right, exactly. So that's why they needed support for that original movie. So it makes sense now. Um, they didn't necessarily lie to us, but certainly got a lot of people's hopes up. Yeah, we'll see. In the end, in the end I still lean towards we will get the Teen Titans back still. But I think this is the end-all, be-all when it comes to test balloons. Because my thing is, I think this movie will do well. Like, if this is a TV release or a movie release, I'm going to watch it. I'm saying that now. I don't know if I watch it when it immediately comes out, but I'm, eventually I'm going to see this. So, and I know that there are even way more rabid Teen Titans fans in terms of the original show than I am. So they will see, they will see it. They don't care that they have to sit through the Teen titans go element of the show to get what they want they will see it this is not what they want in all and overall but they'll still watch it just to see their old guys back again so this will do well and i think that this will then result in the show finally coming back but um but it's annoying that we, we're still kind of playing this game about will we finally fully really get them back but this is the closest we've gotten i mean we can complain about it all we want but I mean, this is the closest we are. We'll, we will actually have a a full length production project involving the original Teen Titans. I mean, you know, that is something we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't forget about that. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about the rest of the stuff we have on the show. And our, our biggest topic today starts off with uh, news regarding Kevin Feige, his comments about the future of the MCU. So Feige had an interview or some kind of conversation uh, he had. With uh, Eric Weber, who uh, is a reporter, I believe, for SiriusXM, and they were at a uh, a Black Panther uh, party that was hosted by Kathleen Kennedy. Eric Weber, by the way, if you follow the uh, Imperial broadcast, if you follow Star Wars stuff, he was also the guy who broke that um, 
that uh what's the name was dead that uh, the the Boba Fett movie was dead. So this gentleman had a head. Which, which we're gonna get to that. Well, yeah, you guys will get to that in the next uh in the next Imperial Broadcast podcast. So you guys should make sure you listen to that this week. So this guy had a lot of scoops. This was uh probably the second of the big scoops he had tonight. In, in that in Avengers four trailer, according to him, Feige said that it would be coming out quote before the end of the year. He also mentioned that Namor could make an appearance. It's unclear to me that because it's in a tweet, it's unclear to me if he's saying that Namor can make an appearance in that movie or in the MCU. But apparently that he could make an appearance and that they're still deciding if and when, which I guess suggests it's just the MCU. Uh, but it's still kind of weird how he laid out the tweet. The last thing was Guardians 3 is on hold, which we already know. So that's not really much we're going to talk about. We talked about it a lot last week. So uh, I'll kick it to you first, Shamari. Avengers 4 trailer before the end of the year. Do you dig it? Yeah, I dig it. I think I think you know it makes sense. The Russos are playing coy this whole time, you know. Of course, playing with the fans as they like to do. Um, you know, we got all these people speculating on the title. Ruffalo's teasing that he spoiled the title, and in the show and apologizing and stuff. And people are dissecting everything he says and does to see what the title was or whatever. So it's like it's a, it's kind of this long kind of thing where all all the speculation, all this hype has been building, you know. So it'll be good to get that Avengers, uh, to get that Avengers trailer, finally, and to get that Avengers title. Um, I mean, I think it's appropriate. You know, it's five what five months, six five six months before the movie comes out. Mm. Captain Marvel's coming out in March, which I, it's still kind of gonna be. It's still gonna be weird to me having Captain Marvel be such a big part of Avengers 4. I would think it would be such a big part of Avengers 4 if we still don't know anything about her character, really, in the MCU. Right. So it's going to be weird seeing them navigate that in this trailer. That's kind of... I'm still... I'm still... That's probably the thing I'm most curious about, honestly, with this trailer, mm-hmm. is how... I mean, how are they gonna, they're just going to show her... Have her show up and have that be a big part of the trailer, or are they going to kind of downplay that more? Yeah. So it's... So, yeah, I'm interested in... I'm interested in... Uh, Seeing what they have to show, um, but as for a time frame, I think this works out. It's good. I'm looking forward to that. Kendall, what do you make of uh, the news about a Avengers Four title? I mean, excuse me, a trailer before the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that makes sense. Um, the only awkward, the only awkwardness about that is that you know Captain Marvel still would not have come out yet. Right. But it seems unrealistic to wait until after Captain Marvel to reveal a title or even show a trailer. But, um, yeah, I mean, this timeline makes makes sense largely. Uh, end of the year could be Christmas, which would be unfortunate. But uh, I would think it probably it, it, it would make sense if... I'm guessing it's going to be in November. If I'm just going off, like... I feel like the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer is going to come out during Spider-Verse, which will be in December. And Or not Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man no, Far From Home. Right. Uh, will be coming out uh, in December with Spider-Verse. So I'm imagining that uh, Avengers 4 would have to come out before that, so I'm thinking November would make sense. Um, and that would, that would mean that it's less than a month away, or a month or so away, so... Um, that's, that's enticing. Uh, 
it's also very interesting that you said that Namor uh, could happen, uh, but he wasn't also very well. It wasn't definitive, you know. Saying they're still deciding if and when that'll happen. The if part makes you wonder if the if is about Aquaman, because if you say if we decide to do Namor, is that if because you know if Aquaman blows up, well we got to jump in there, or if, if Aquaman flops miserably, do you feel like? This isn't logistically a movie that could be successful. Just CGI and things of that nature. So, um, you know, one can say that Marvel was late to the punch with with Captain Marvel versus Wonder Woman. Yeah. And they may end up being late uh, to Atlantis with Namor and Aquaman. Yeah. And I'm not sure. It's still unclear what the Namor deal was in in regards to rights. Um, there's been talk that they've had it all along then there's talk that they didn't have it so I'm not sure if them being late to the punch has anything to do with Aquaman or is it anything having to do with you know lawyers and rights to certain characters but in regards to quickly in regards to uh, Avengers well not quickly Um, I want to get to quickly Namor uh, later but in terms of Avengers 4 a trailer uh, I think that it makes sense I personally feel like they've waited too long to come out with a trailer. I think a trailer should have come out yesterday, last week, last month. I think September. Like, like Venom or something? Yeah, I think that it should have come out in September. Um, I know that means, like Shamari said, that would be kind of coming up to Venom. I don't know if Venom came into their head in regards to... Uh, attention and that they felt like you know venom would kind of overshadow anything that they did if they did it that would be to me would be foolish venom did well but i don't think venom is threatening excitement for avengers 4 it's one of the most anticipated movies in the history of hollywood i think that in some ways i personally feel like they've lost a little bit of momentum for avengers 4 because they've decided to kind of just stay quiet all this time uh, I've always credited Marvel being great with PR and and it blasted uh, DC for their lack of to me media skills. I think Marvel's media skills and how they've promoted this Avengers movie so far has been poor. They haven't promoted it at all. Um, I think the, I think everything should have been done sooner. I thought the Captain America, Captain Marvel trailer should have been happened a little sooner. Um, but I think this should have definitely happened sooner. The fact that we don't have a title still and we don't have a trailer, you kind of forget about. I to me, I forget about that movie sometimes. As crazy as that may sound, I know I'm not. I can't be alone. But when we have all these other properties, all these other movies, all these other things happening, and people kind of live in a world where um, everyone has a short attention span, it's a microwave. It's a microwave uh, era where everything wants something quick, and it's, you didn't. You did, what you did last week doesn't matter because we're on to the next thing. I think Marvel could have done something special with how they've led up to this movie. And I think they've kind of, can't say they dropped the ball, because at the end of the day, they're going to do 200 in that first weekend, and it's not really going to matter. But I think just in terms of how you could keep the excitement at an all-time high for this movie, I do think that this is too late. Uh, before the end of the year, I, I mean, that's, it's better than after the end of the year, but I mean, is that December? I, I think that for a May movie, I think you definitely could have come out with something earlier than that. 
I think that, um, and I, I'm also wondering how Aquaman is 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 going into this too. That's interesting I mean, too. Are they trying to steal Aquaman's thunder? Say if it comes out around the holiday season when Aquaman is trying to build hype to get people, and they just drop an Avengers four trailer. You know, I mean, what's that gonna do? Um, that's gonna make everyone forget about Aquaman. Everyone's gonna be like, "Oh my God, who knows what they're gonna but show?" There's no trailer. reason for them to. There's no. The, it would be foolish to me of them to do anything in reaction to any other movies. I agree. They have the movie. Like, the idea that, well, we can hurt Aquaman by releasing our joint. You're, like, Aquaman is hurt because it's not Avengers 4. <laughs> you know, DC is hurt because they don't have an Avengers 4. There's nothing that really Marvel, to me, could do that's really going to hurt DC worse than it's already hurting itself. DC has shown they could swallow as many grenades as they can. <laughs> and then do whatever they need to do. I don't get yeah, that. Don't why know. you would hurt the the popularity and the and and and, and being in the, ahead of the conversation for all these months just so you can have a, a a trump card, so to speak, to eventually hurt DC in December. Now, is it possible that um is it possible that they needed they wanted or they needed this time? I mean, I know before there was, mm-hmm. and it was, it was a while ago, but still it was speculation that before they were still deciding on what the title was going to be. Mm. That people were like, oh, they have all these different titles in the works, but they don't really even know yet what they want the title to be. I mean, even we're still hearing all these several different things that it could be. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, it, it could have been that maybe, you know, um, they still were still working on That's what true. exactly they want this movie to be called. So they didn't want to release a trailer yet or cut a trailer yet, you know, when they they don't have all this stuff hashed out. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, who knows um, why? Uh, who knows why they didn't uh, why they chose to wait so long? Um, I don't think it's going to hurt their 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 bottom line. No, I don't think um, so either. Yeah, I think the movie is just going to be as big as it is and as good as it is. And... Um, <laughs> You know, it's just it's just up to them, I guess. Whatever whatever was going on with uh, the Marvel Studios and why they couldn't release the uh, release the trailer. Though I also wanted to make a note on the whole Namor thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Namor and Aquaman. I feel like it could have been. It honestly could have been either way in terms of why they um, why he's saying oh they might may or may not even do Namor mm-hmm. or when they're going to do Namor because I mean if Aquaman flops. Then they might be like, "Oh well, they didn't do it well. We could steal the spotlight." Yeah, you know. Or if Aquaman does really well, maybe they'll be like, "Oh, okay, well, we missed the boat." You know, I mean, we could still do Namor, but it it's won't gonna be, look it like won't, yeah, it's gonna look it's like only gonna be copying, compared to yeah, yeah, we're, we're copying Aquaman. Yeah, and who's this Namor guy anyway? Because more people know Aquaman than Namor. Absolutely. So, so yeah, they they're probably still trying to feel that situation out um, before they decide. On what to do. I thought Weber's words were interesting, Kendall. He said Namor could make an appearance. He didn't say anything about a movie, which mm-hmm. that's interesting to me because you know we kicked around the idea a couple of weeks ago about Namor being the villain of a Black Panther movie. Uh, I've always felt that Namor made the most sense as a element in someone else's movie. Is that something that you think maybe is being hashed out when Kevin Feige says something like that? Uh, I think Namor is definitely a character that 
isn't going to be brought out by himself. I agree. I think it'll be a character that is introduced in a separate movie. Uh, could be uh, Black Panther. Could be Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel. Could be an MC, an, one of the Fox properties that's coming over, like the X-Men or Fantastic Four. That's true. Um, he is a mutant. People forget that. Right. So, I, I, I mean, I think that there's... I think there's a good chance we will see Namor soon. Maybe not like soon as in like a movie that's already announced, but soon as in you know next three years, I won't be surprised to see Namor pop up in one of these movies. Yeah, I think I I agree. They, to me, the, the fact that they're saying could means that yeah, I think it will happen. They plan on yeah, they plan on doing it unless there's a snag because they don't talk about this stuff unless it's very very likely yeah d- unlike dc marvel usually when we talk about something it's because that is being strongly considered or is already being planned to be in the works yeah i was surprised they even mentioned namor i also was too because <laughs> like, again feige doesn't really speak in half measures or half truths he, he kind of just says something is happening or if there's something happening but it's not confirmed he just won't say anything yeah. Um, or if he's asked specifically, oh, what do you think of Namor? He'd be like, oh, I don't know. I mean, he's there, but we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he didn't have to say, oh, he could make an appearance. Yeah, there was no plans. He would say something like that. Yeah, exactly. So that means something is in the works. Hopefully they're able to execute it. Uh, let's move on to some other news we got this week. Uh, and it's regarding a Catherine Langford. So the star of 13 Reasons Why, a uh, uh, Golden Globe-nominated uh, actress, she is been cast to be in Avengers 4. So um, the title, I mean, excuse me, the, the name of her character has not been revealed. There's no character details of who she is. But uh, another young actress uh, being cast to be in this movie, we have other young actors and actresses in this movie. It's led to speculation about an Avengers, uh, young Avengers appearance in some way. Uh, I'll go to you first, Kendall. What did you make of the Langford casting? Uh, it's interesting. Um, one, it came out of nowhere because this movie has been wrapped for a long time. Yeah. So, so you know, Catherine Langford being has this really been kept under wraps this long, or is this a late addition in the last month? Uh, that's that's one of the more mysterious parts of this story, but. In terms of her inclusion now, you know, she I feel like Catherine Langford, she's too big of an actress for this to be a minute role. Like, I agree. You know, she was someone that I thought Warner Brothers should have looked at to play Batgirl. And for getting her to be in an MCU movie, this isn't going to be as an extra. This isn't going to be a, be one of Thanos' goons. You know, this is like... She'll probably be somebody that will... This won't be her last appearance, I doubt, in the MCU, and also given her age. So with that being said, I would imagine, you know, some people, you mentioned the Young Avengers, some people mentioned, is she Cassie Lang, even though we have an actress, Emma Furman, that's reportedly playing Cassie Lang, was she a character that was recasted? Um, Is she playing uh, Hawkeye's daughter, who we saw in Age of Ultron? Um, I feel it'd be weird if we have, like, just the Avengers kids. I mean, we've seen that movie before, animated movie. But it'd be weird if it was just, oh, yeah, Hawkeye's daughter and Ant-Man's daughter and 
this one's son and this one. <laughs> so I don't know if I want to see all that. But uh, there are plenty of possibilities. I've even heard some people throw off Squirrel Girl. Um, I don't know if that's a character they want to do uh, in the movies or television, but she would also fit the character description, the demographic description of what Squirrel Girl could, what Squirrel Girl could be. So there are a lot of possibilities, but um, I am glad, though, that they are, one, they're keeping a lot of things under wraps, but two, kind of reaching outside the box a little bit. They're not just going to give you just the same old characters we've seen over the last 10 years. Yeah, Shamar, it seems like where there's smoke, there's fire in regards to this Young Avengers rumors. There's another young actress. Um, like Kendall said, I agree. I'm sure you would agree. Not someone you'd expect to be playing a bit role. We already know about the Emma Furman. Um, we already know about the Emma Furman. Oh, we lost Kendall. Oh, no, we didn't. Oh, he's back. Sorry. Um, we already knew about the Emma Furman uh, casting. She's 16 years old. That, to me, suggests that I don't... If she's Cassie Lang, I don't see that as a recasting. You're not going to cast someone who's 22 years old to play when you hire someone who was 16. That, that's a major difference in terms of just look. So, I think that Langford is playing someone entirely different. Uh, but what do you make of the of the casting? And what that means for for a possible Avengers Young Avengers appearance in the Avengers Four movie? Um, well, first of all, I think she just adds more talent to the uh, uh, to the the movie as a whole, um, and I think that um, I agree. Kind of, I think it's interesting that they're announcing this now. You know, when they they clearly they wrapped on this movie a while ago. So we were just hearing about this now. This is something they've been keeping under wraps. Um, and this is, um, I don't know if this is going to be a, if this is some a recast, you know, I mean, it would be, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't think we have any reason to believe that this is a recast. Um, if it is, I think that, you know, I think they found a talented actress as a recast. Um, and I would be asking why they didn't go for her in the first place if this, if this is a recast. But, you know, I mean, it's possible. Um, but I, I wouldn't think that this is a recast. I would think that this is just her playing a different character. Um, and I, I, I definitely think that there is um, there's a lot of smoke for this whole Young Avengers idea. I mean, we already know there's time travel in this movie. I mean, that's been, been confirmed basically by several, several set, set photos. Yeah. And, uh, you know... Uh, all kinds of other things that have leaked and people that we've seen um, on set for the movie and pictures of people on set. So, I mean, we've seen all these things basically confirming that there's going to be time travel. Time travel, a time skip. They're playing with time in the movie. Yeah. So we know that. Um, so uh, we we know that there's a chance that they could go in the future and that there could be some kind of Young Avengers um now it could be that they're teasing it. it they they may not show up in the movie as a team or yes. anything like that. We may not see something like that, but I definitely think that there's a a high possibility that um that they are going to be uh uh in the movie. Right. That we're going to see Cassie Lane and we're going to see um you know everybody else that's going to you're going to see uh you know Harley Keener you know, we're gonna see, we're gonna see all Harley these Keener. <laughs> yeah, he is in the he is also in the movie. Yeah, so we're gonna see all these people 
And that's going to blow people's minds, you know, because there are people that just like the movies but aren't really looking into it the way that we are. Right. That's going to blow people's minds when they're sitting in those seats and watching all this stuff happen. I don't know if they'll remember Ali Keener, but, <laughs> um, you know, so that might take a little bit of explanation. But, but I think it'll be fun to see for sure. Yeah, and if you remember, uh, there's reports also this week about um, a solo Hawkeye project being developed and that it was yeah. a story that would, uh, would relate very closely to the Matt Fraction story, which is was Dare, oh, excuse me, was uh, was um, Clint training Kate Bishop to become the new Hawkeye. And Kate Bishop in the comics has been Hawkeye. Uh that could also play a role. I think it is not. I think it's potentially not a coincidence that this news about this casting would drop in the same week that we get details about what this solo Hawkeye project could be. Yeah, no, that that makes plenty of sense if you do the uh, detective work. Uh, you know, I do wonder is that where they want to go with the with with the Hawkeye character? Um, he hasn't been utilized much, so it makes sense to maybe move on from him. Uh, Jeremy Renner is getting a little older. Uh, I mean, Jeremy it, Renner said that that they they have wondrous things. Uh, there's wonder they're doing wondrous things with the character going forward. Um, is yeah, yeah. Like, is there also a chance? I mean, Catherine Langford, obviously Netflix star. Is there a chance that they use this as a way to bridge her into her own television series as Hawkeye? Um, that is very possible to me. Mm. I mean, they're doing Loki and Scarlet Witch. If they're doing a Loki and Scarlet Witch, I mean, anyone's on the table at that point. You know, that that would make, I think, because I don't know if I want to see a Hawkeye movie. You know what I mean? Even if... It's Kathleen Lee for Jeremy Renner. I don't know. They, I don't, they, they've barely shown Hawkeye, you know, and beyond Hawkeye, this is a character that, I mean, we have no introduction to outside of this movie. Um, now, maybe she's great in this movie, and then I'll be like, yeah, I want to see the Hawkeye movie with Kate Bishop. But um, right now, I wouldn't be too excited for it. But if they told me it was a television series on the streaming service, I feel that, that would make a, a whole lot of sense for all parties. I mean, now would that would that be? I mean, it wouldn't be female Arrow. I mean, necessarily, because I mean, Arrow is Arrow. I mean, it depends. I don't even know what her story would be. You know. Yeah, you know. I mean, she wasn't on on the island. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, I don't you think know. she'll be a billionaire, playboy, philanthropist type. Yeah. Tony Stark, but there will be differences, but there will—I mean, there are inevitable similarities when you have two superheroes that are archers. But making right. her, if you wanted to do a Hawkeye show, and you're afraid of making it look like Arrow, the best thing to do would be to make her female, and as and young, and young. That would that that automatically makes you look very different than Arrow, regardless of whether or not there are bows and arrows involved. It's more like a—I I don't follow the Hunger Games, but I know Katniss was like yeah, was she an archer and stuff yeah. as well. That's true. It would be very Hunger Games-esque. And I'm sure you would get people who love Catherine from 30, 13 Reasons Why and who are, uh, um, also love the Hunger Games that maybe could make that connection as well. So I think there are various avenues they can go. Um, 
we could talk about they could do a Hawkeye movie that then turns into a show. I mean, if if like you said, if with Loki and Scarlet Witch are coming to the Disney streaming service, then it seems like anyone outside of probably like Spider Man and Iron Man and Captain America are all fair game, or and Hulk and Thor. Everyone else is pretty much fair game. So a character who does uses bow and arrows, you would think that yeah, you could definitely make a good TV show. We've seen it happen. Or already. even a straight to streaming service movie, which has also become that's something that's Netflix has point. tried to uh, try to do. That is very true. They feel like you know a Hawkeye movie, a Hawkeye TV show can't last more than one season. I mean, you can make it a you can make it a movie as well. I tell you what, and there are people who are kind of on the fence about wanting to spend another ten, fifteen dollars a month on another streaming service. Well, if you tell me there's a MCU Hawkeye movie on there. I'm going to buy it. I mean, I'm going to get it anyway, but if I say I wasn't doing this show, and I was like, I don't need to watch that Loki show or whatever. So if there's an MCU movie that's connected to the Avengers and stuff, I, I mean, I can't not watch that. I have to watch it. And yes, there will be, of course, the people who pirated it. But not forget about those people. There are going to be people who are like, oh, I guess I'm spending that $10 at least for one month so I can just watch this movie, which you would have seen, had to do if you went to the movie theater anyway. Disney's still getting your money. It's pretty much the same amount of money they would give, get for you regardless. So... There's a lot of avenues they can go, which to me is not why it's not surprising that all of this uh, news came out kind of all in the same time in regards to Catherine uh, Lang and uh, and this uh, and this uh, you know Catherine Langford, I'm sorry, and this uh, Hawkeye stuff. But also, we got this week some more uh, uh, kind of breaking news or scoops regarding the Marvel future. So uh, the hashtag show. Who's really starting to really, I think, establish themselves in this uh, medium? They get, it broke some news in regards to a potential slate for the Marvel 2020 year. It includes what would be a uh, May release for a Black Widow solo movie and a November release for The Eternals. Now, the Black Widow story, Shamari, would involve uh, a Natasha um, being groomed basically at birth. To be an operative for the Soviet Union. Once the Soviet Union falls, she becomes a freelance operative and kind of on the run for her life as the USSR. Um, uh, the remnants of the government tries to kill her. It would apparently take place 15 years after the fall of the Soviet Union, meaning this would also be a period piece. I guess that would probably make it what like like early 2000s almost or like yeah like, mid or like late 2000s yeah mid, mid to late 2000s when the soviet union fall I, I around 19 1990 around that okay yeah like early 90s okay yeah, early so, yeah, 90s, so, yeah. so that's an interesting i mean that would probably still work i mean part of i mean now i feel old because like i'm like well that doesn't feel that long ago to me like how different was the world in 2002 but it was extremely different back then so uh that would be another period piece with a female character before we even get to the Eternals, I, I heard that, and is anyone else bothered by the idea that we can't have a current movie with a female character that's in the present day? I mean, I don't see why. That'd I think be, that's, that'd be I think it's more because we already have a Wonder Woman movie that's in eighty that's in So this would be the fourth movie then, because then we've already would have had one Wonder Woman and another in a Captain Marvel movie. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like it's coincidental. I think it's coincidence as well. I mean, I, I can think, see. Mm-hmm. 
There you go. I can see layers where you can look at it and be like, for whatever reason, they feel like making a movie set in this time isn't conducive to having a woman lead. But I don't think that that's where the mind the mindset has been for these particular studios. I hope not. That would yeah. be awful. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um, I think when it comes to them deciding to do Captain Marvel in the 90s, um, I think that they were kind of looking to do a period piece. That's the, the sense that I got when they were just like, Captain Marvel's going to be in the 90s. I'm like, so they're trying to do a period piece here. Right. That's something that they've probably been, been meaning to do. They probably saw the success of Days of Future Past as well as First Class. True. And they were probably like, oh, that's a good idea. We should probably take advantage of that. I'm thinking that's something they, you know how Marvel is. They've probably been discussing that for a long time. Okay. So I'm thinking that that's something that they've had in mind for a while. Um, and for uh, Black Widow and Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, I mean, I think it's just the fact that those characters, the, the a large part of their stories take place at a certain time period. Sure. Whereas Wonder Woman was World War One, and Black Widow was the fall of the Soviet Union. Right. So I feel like I feel like it's it's just a cool, it just happens to be that way. The Wonder Woman sequel, the one that we yeah, the Wonder Woman weird. sequel could have been in present day. I don't know why they chose right. the eighties. I mean, I guess we'll find out. Um, though I mean, of course, there's all this whole thing with the DCEU kind of falling apart. So I don't, I don't know if that has any. I don't know what that, yeah. that has anything to do with it as well. I just know that there is an argument to be made that at this time and age, it could be powerful to see a woman in today's era also show the strength. And uh, and grace and uh, and all the things that go with being a superhero in today's world, not just. I mean, I, in I, 1984 or in I 1924 mean, or whatever. Like mm-hmm. that. Like there is something to that, and I, I I I would I would be surprised if they don't face a little heat for that. If they did, this is the plan. Not that I didn't expect this to not be the plan. But now, seeing how this has happened, Marvel would have done two different heroes, female heroes, as a period pieces that were solo movies, and we already know DC has done. And you can't even this is television, but you also they also did Agent Carter. Carter exactly. And I mean, to be fair, like the Black Widow one wouldn't be that's like ten years ago, or it won't end. <laughs> will be so twenty, like, almost twenty. Like no, but I mean, they're saying it takes like fifteen years after the fall of the Soviet Union, so that's like the mid two thousand. It'd be like oh yeah, like oh five or something. Oh five okay. or six. But that's so, okay. So that's like fifteen years. That's fifteen it's modern years. Modern days. It's modern day. That's fifteen years from from when this movie from comes, out, comes out in twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah, it's still a totally different time. Exactly. Obviously. Yeah, it's a different time. I mean, Kendrick Lamar. Last I checked, you don't have a sidekick, right? <laughs> you don't got a T-Mobile sidekick. No, yeah, it's it's a it's a different you time. A, you don't got AOL dial up. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's a different time, but I I feel like it's it's still like. I mean, it's still like. It's not like in 1984 or like, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, where th- that's like, okay, you're just going, you're going way back, you know. Shamari thinks the MySpace era was uh, last week. <laughs> <laughs> the only, <laughs> the only, the only logic, see, the only thing that I would say is that where's the logic from the studio's perspective to avoid that? Because yeah, I mean, that's, we've seen know. on television, uh, Supergirl is in the modern day and that show hasn't had any snags um, because of its time period. Uh, we've seen plenty of movies that aren't really necessarily the superhero genre, but I mean, you mentioned The Hunger Games is a fantastical world. But 
even what was the movie with the other Jennifer Lawrence movie where she's basically Black Widow? And yeah, uh, I believe was it, that one. Was it like Black, Red, Red 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 Sparrow, Sparrow or something like that? Yeah, Red Sparrow. She is. <laughs> Sounds kind of. I imagine that's in 2018 or sometime. In I have the recent, no idea when that piece. That, I mean, in the recent cut. in the recent uh Meaning, time. I don't know honestly. I to but, answer that, Kendall, I would say look at uh the backlash Star Wars has gotten. That's what my response is. And yeah, Disney I is, mean, a, that, is that the company the, that's it's a company that made that movie. That would movies. be the only thing that I can think of is maybe they're 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 hesitant because of the, all the, the whole social backlash. Yeah, that, they're afraid that, of the Yeah, they're the, afraid of, you know, quote unquote they, feminist label. Yeah, because they've been clobbered by the, that stuff, the Star Wars thing. Right. I mean, whether we agree with it or not, that's what's happened. So So maybe like putting it in a different time period is a good distraction or something? I just these are I feel like these are questions that have to be asked. I don't know why they're not doing we're doing it this way, but um four female lead movies and they're all set not in present day. That's strange. We'll see what happens with that's that's a strange coincidence. It could be a coincidence. And if it's a coincidence then it's just yeah. a coincidence. I would say that maybe they're overlooking something that's that could also be a more powerful story by continuing to do this. But if it's not a coincidence, be... well, then that's something that needs to be that definitely needs to be discussed. But these questions have to me have to be asked because there, the there is I saw when I saw this. The future. We'll see what happens with Warner Brothers. Obviously, Birds of Prey, and then right. also that's we'll true. see what they do. I think more importantly with Supergirl. Yeah. Uh, but those will be two opportunities. But Marvel, uh, this is only their second one. I don't. I think, I think Captain uh, Marvel was clearly an intentional move. Yeah, I don't really I, fault them for that. I don't really fault them yeah. for any of the ones before this one. And, See, and I feel like this one there was a story purpose. Like I don't know if you can tell the story in two thousand, even two thousand fifteen. And that and and yeah, that's that's kind of what I meant when I said that. I think they've been planning this for a while. I think whatever whatever whole the, like this is the piece. This is how Captain Marvel fits in their whole piece as a universe and as like them telling their story. Yeah. I, I definitely um, think Captain Marvel fit in that regard. And and I think the Captain Marvel sequel will be in present day. I don't think they're gonna have that be in the past. Um I think they have her established as an Avenger and that will take place in present day with whatever else is going on at that time. Uh but I dig this story though. Um I, I think that story uh could be really good. I'm wondering what kind of av- Will there be a main adversary that's well known? Because this kind of just makes it about a government, uh, a kind of a government conspiracy movie, which we had with Winter Soldier, which was excellent. But a lot of that was driven by the Winter Soldier's presence. Is will there be a similar entity in uh, this movie? I don't know, but I dig the story. I don't know what you guys thought. Uh, I'm digging it as well. Um, I have to, I have to watch that movie, Atomic Blonde. Because I know that's kind of a, a popular action movie featuring a female lead. Um, yeah. And I know that did very well. I feel like they may, they may have kind of not got... Of course, they didn't get the idea for it from that. But maybe seeing the success of that movie may have been like, oh, okay, maybe we can do something similar. You know? Um, and people seem to like Black Widow in the Avengers movies. So why not give her her own, movie, her own action movie? And I think that would do very well. Um as for the Eternals, I feel like they're going to have, I don't know much about the Eternals, but mm-hmm. I feel like they're, they have their work cut out for them getting to get in getting people excited for that movie. I agree. You know, I, it's not, 
um, they're gonna have to pull another Guardians of the Galaxy, where they make it so that people they it, there's an angle where people are like, wow, this is really interesting. I have to see this, you know. Which I, mean, I have to give them so much kudos, and you know, James Gunn as well. So much kudos for what they were able to do with that franchise. True. Um, but with the Eternals, you know, again, they're gonna have to pull another one where they have to make people interested in something that they knew nothing about. And one of the things that helped them with the, uh, with what's the name was uh, Guardians was the cast. Yeah, that's true too. You saw a cast that had, you know, uh, you know, Zoe Zaldana, um, Dave Batista, Dave Batista, you know, Chris Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt Bradley Cooper, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Yeah. Like, regardless of who, regardless of who. Um, Who's involved, or the characters are involved? Your kind of your your attention is going to be peaked. I think that's going to have to be what their uh, plan is for this as well. They're going to have to find a way to get big name actors to be behind it. Because I agree with Shamari Kendall that this could be a movie that suffers from a lack of um, excitement. Because I think that if you're looking at just the characters in themselves, I don't think that they kind of come to the forefront uh, or the front of people's minds when they think of you know big name superheroes so in terms of getting that attention and getting that excitement i do have questions about whether they can they can handle that yeah i mean i definitely feel like we'll see some eternals nods strong nods probably in the next couple of movies um and so that could whether it be captain marvel or avengers 4 uh so that'll help that brand a little bit um but I'm done really questioning Marvel when it comes to these type of things because, I mean, I was saying the same thing about Guardians. So what kind of idea is this? This is not an A-list brand. People, are, people aren't going to come out to see this. Really, it just comes down to how you market these movies. And I, I haven't seen the marketing branding yet uh, for The Eternals. You guys mentioned um, that the cast is important, and I agree. Uh, you have to cast people that people want to see. Uh, and that people are familiar with, but it's also going to come down to cutting good trailers. Uh, Guardians was very unique because obviously it was very funny and utilized uh, music that people connected with, and that's what, along with the cast, got people to go to go see that movie. Um, but now nah, I feel like this Eternals movie is still. I mean, it doesn't feel like a movie that's only two years away. You know, it feels like a movie that we have we know nothing about because there's been no casting, no directors, uh, no hints in the movies. Um, but as far as we know, it's still happening, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, there's no reason to believe it's not happening. Of the movies that we've gotten updates for, this is one of the movies we've gotten the most updates for. So I'm of the idea that this movie is definitely happening. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and like in according to the hashtag show we got a, a, a date we have um november of uh 2020 for that they described the movie as a uh, uh, set in millions millions of years ago when the cosmics the cosmic beings knowing the celestials who we were introduced to a little bit in guardians 2 with uh with ego um genetically uh experiment on humans creating the superpower individuals uh, known as the Internals, as well as the more villainous offshoots known as the Deviants. The two groups went on to battle each other throughout history to see 
which would eventually become the ultimate race. The story involved a love story um, between Icarus, a man fueled by cosmic energy, and Cersei, who uh, relishes uh, moving amongst humans. So, um, I don't know. Sounds a little inhumans to me. Mm. <laughs> uh, sounds a little inhumans to me. That is not a bad thing. I mean, inhumans only has a sound like a four-letter word now because of what we saw in ABC, but inhumans are awesome. But uh, I see this, and I think if they would have just did Inhumans, <laughs> I would maybe be more excited than what I'm getting with yeah, this. Yeah, this feels like, like, like you said, a cosmic version of the Inhumans. Yeah, it feels like a replacement. Like, I would have loved to have seen that story of Black Bolt and Medusa on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Instead, I got a cheap, like, $2 steak version of that story on ABC. And... Um, and I think those are characters that would have. I thought you were gonna call this this version. Yeah, me too. Uh, no, 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 no. Not, no, I don't know what this movie is. Like, you I, laugh I, the eternal way before you even see it. No, I'm saying. No, I'm saying Marvel gave us a cheap two dollars state version with that show that they gave us. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dang. Has anyone ever had a two dollars steak? That's like a, a a running like metaphor, but like I've never even seen that on a menu, and like. I, it's not a steak that I want to have. A two dollars steak. <laughs> Man, a two dollars steak. I feel like you know that joint probably could survive you a nuclear just, war. Yeah, they say, well, you just found it. Was it sounds like two dollars? <laughs> How does that make any sense for market value? Like, where did you find it? How did you get it? Two dollars steak. But uh, I don't know. I just feel like that story sounds a little inhuman to me, and that's a story I wanted that didn't get to my my uh, my liking when they made it for the TV version. So we'll see, though. Like I said, I I fully expect that there will be eight a list actors in this movie. Marvel will throw a lot of money at people. They believe in the script. They believe in the director, um, uh, Chloe Zhao. So this, I think, will end up being a massive project for them that they're confident in, or at least they hope to be confident in. They just know they're going to have to really sell it for people. Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried because if Marvel, obviously they've looked over the script, they've... I'm I'm positive they're happy about it if they're moving this quickly with this movie. They know they have something good. Kevin Feige, Marvel, and the Marvel movie division have not been stupid once. Um, I wouldn't say they haven't been stupid once, but they very rarely are stupid. Yeah, like they greenlit that Iron Iron Man two and three scripts. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they made Aquaman. poor decisions. They greenlit that thriller with Aquaman script. Like it was all over that. But, you know, I get the sense that these guys, they they know what, what works. Um, I mean, Iron Man 3, I guess, was probably the last really bad movie. I mean, even that movie's not really bad, but the last bad movie that they've made, and that feels like ages ago. So, um, How did they, they like... Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't do something like the Eternals. Like, Iron Man 3, a Thor sequel, even an Iron Man sequel, a lot easier to mess up because you're relying more on the the strength of the character than maybe the strength of the story. With the, Etern- with the Eternals, the characters have no strength in terms of box office or, or making a good story or in terms of perception. You just have to convince yourself that this story is good enough to where people are going to come see it. And I think that Marvel's convinced, convinced in that. Um, I think so, too. I, I agree with you in that. In that they, they understand that whatever they're going to pitch to us when they show us this movie is going to look so amazing and there's going to be so many big names around it that we'll be forced to be compelled. 
Um, for you bringing up Avengers, uh, Iron Man 3, you know, I brought it up first, but then you also, you know, echoed those sentiments by Iron Man 3, Iron Man 2, Thor The Dark World. It's kind of interesting to me that Marvel survived those movies. Like, their momentum didn't get halted with those movies, and I wonder why that was. There's yeah, so much I mean, excitement. I, I, I mean, I, I guess Iron Man 2, the stench from that movie was gone because Avengers came out after it. Yeah, Avengers. And Avengers was so good. I was going to say, I think the, the just the hype of Avengers, and the fact that we have a universe like this, <laughs> just, we just in it, we on just its overlooked. own. Yeah, we're just like, yeah, yeah, it, it could be better, but they, they got Avengers 2 coming and out. We, also, <laughs> we got Age of Ultron. Like, at that yeah. point, it was, just, it was just off to the races. And we, we also have to remember the context in which we saw the movies and what the standard was for a good superhero movie 10 yeah, years ago. That's true. You know, I mean, if you come out with a movie like Iron Man 2 now, I know DC knows because they have come out with plenty of movies in that type of ballpark. We laugh at it. We say this is a joke, a la Venom. But, you know, if you... That's only because we've seen Civil War, we've seen Black Panther, we've seen Wonder Woman. We've seen masterpieces of of superhero movies. Yeah. You know, like, back then we thought, oh, Fantastic Four, not obviously the the new one, but the originals, eh, bad movies, but they're passable. I mean, you got a sequel. But now those movies are looked at as complete jokes. So um, at the time, the bar wasn't raised nearly as high. But now Marvel... That bar is a little higher. Uh, just a quick uh, update on the, uh, on the on the on the status of the Nightwing movie. Uh, shifting over to DC for a second, a lot of Marvel talk today. Wanted to get some DC in there. Uh, Chris McKay answered a question on Twitter in regards to what the deal is with this movie. It's a movie we know that he's supposed to be directing. It's a movie that we know is supposed to be in development, and then we've heard pretty much nothing after that. We don't have casting. We don't have a script being done. We don't have anything production schedule nothing so he was asked on twitter is the nightwing movie no more he answered saying no you're gonna have to wait though keep hope alive to paraphrase dick Grayson, nightwing always lives always um i am now in the boat with kendall this movie will never see the light of day because to me well when you say keep hope alive that's not for anything. That's not for anything good. <laughs> Has anyone ever sure. said that and it been a good? You've been a, in a good situation. I've never seen. I've never heard that phrase used for a good situation. Things are going great. Keep hope alive. Is oh you only say that because things look tenuous. Things look grim. And Chris McKay, I think, you know, wanted to be as positive as he could, and this was the best he could do. Keep hope alive. That to me, Nightwing lives. <laughs> that to me suggests this is a movie that's in very, very bad shape to me in regards to when it will eventually come out. He's saying that you're automatically going to have to wait, so he's already setting your expectations very low. And then he's talking about Keep Hope Alive and that Nightwing always lives. And that suggests that the movie is possibly on the chopping block. I don't know. I, 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 I have grave doubts about this movie now. Um, and that really stinks because i really was hoping for this movie but i mean dc with the titans being involved now and um i I haven't watched the last few episodes but it seems like that that show may end up being like the most like surprise show 
we've ever covered. If if the reviews and, and reactions I'm seeing from other people are to be believed that this show actually is pretty good. Um, that would be crazy based on what we saw from that first trailer. Uh, if that's the case, then where does a Nightwing movie fit in when you have a, a, a Dick Grayson that people already have rallied behind? You know, I, I, Superman is different. Flash is different. Nightwing, that's... I don't I know I don't know if I need a and I I'm a Nightwing stand, but I don't know if I need a Nightwing movie if I have a Nightwing in television form. Yeah, I was that's the only thing that I was gonna say. I don't think these I don't think his comments really make me think that Nightwing isn't gonna come out. I think because I've been watching Titans and I, I watched yeah. the first three episodes. And this Dick Grayson to me is is Nightwing. <laughs> you know, I mean he loves like, all right, I'm watching Nightwing. I mean, this is an adult Dick Grayson. You know, he's separated from Batman. He doesn't want to... It doesn't seem like he wants to be a quote-unquote Robin anymore. Seems like he wants to be his own hero. Uh, this is Nightwing without the Nightwing costume, to me. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. It's just... Uh, in terms of this, where Dick Grayson is in his life, Yeah. and in terms of the story, this looks like a Nightwing. It's just that there's there's the, t- the Titans around him. But, um, so yeah, that's the only thing that kind of makes me wonder about them coming out with a Nightwing movie. Um, but he sounds, to me, he sounds pretty optimistic. I mean, he's talking he about... He sounds optimistic. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. He's like, yeah, you know, he seems like, he's like, uh, it sounds almost excited about it. Which, I mean, if he, if nothing was going on, I feel like he'd be like, uh, or he'd just be like, no, I mean, or like, I don't know. Or, I mean, if we, I mean we've seen those guys say that before. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think, you know, like, I think, like, like, from my, my few... I have had no interaction with him personally, but from the interactions I've seen from Chris McKay and just the feeling I get from him, he genuinely sounds like a very upbeat, mm-hmm. optimistic dude. Which is kind of why I look at this and feel like he, he's not being optimistic. Because the, the, the only thing he could give me in all those raw and update was keep hope alive. That's scary to me. He's always going to be tend to lean towards being more hopeful and optimistic. That's why he's probably right. a great person to be the Nightwing director. But... That's why I look at this and I'm like, that's all you can give me? You're going to yeah, have to wait, keep hope alive, and Nightwing always lives? I don't know, Kendall, break the tie here. Yeah, nah. Yeah, Nightwing, that movie hasn't been happening for a long time. Um, <laughs> you know, I feel like it's in, it's in the same boat as, you know, I'm guessing Batgirl probably also won't be uh, happening. You say Lobo? Yeah, <laughs> Lobo. Now, Lobo is dead on a way that's, in a way that's... Booster Gold. Now, that, that, <laughs> yeah, it's in the, it's in the Blue Beetle dead shot category. That's a whole nother level of dead. I'm not going to go that We wouldn't go that far, I don't think. You know, this movie had a shot when, I mean, they legitimately had, they've had a director for a long time. But, and it's something we've talked about every time we've talked about this movie, is the order of operations for DC is so messed up. Yeah. That I mean, for years we've been like I said, we've had a director for this movie for a long time, and every time we were like, "Why are they doing Nightwing before Batman, before The Flash, before Man of Steel two, before a Justice League sequel?" Like they're they're just pushing Nightwing so fast, and it never made any sense. And but now they, I guess they realize it makes no sense for the dude Nightwing at this point. You know, we can't get Cyborg right, we can't get you know a Green Lantern movie out. So I think they they've realized we can't do Nightwing, um, and like you guys mentioned, Titans, uh, if that is a property that is strong, 
then you have your Nightwing. And you have uh, somebody that could be the face of your DC Universe um, streaming service, which may be conducive to their interests. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if Nightwing's ever going to come out. I, I just, I think he's optimistic about it. Um, whether or not he should be, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think they should be making, and I've said it this so many times, I don't think they should be making a Nightwing movie right now. I think they should be trying to make a Batman movie. Um, but, I mean, we'll see if it comes out. I don't know if it will come out. You know, I just want, I just want a good Aquaman movie. <laughs> At this point, I want a good Aquaman movie. I want a good Wonder Woman sequel. I wish Wonder Woman sequel was coming out sooner, but it is what it is. And I want another another Superman since apparently the Superman. Yeah, we all kind of can hope that uh, DC would do things that just make sense. Um, it kind of goes back to the theme. I keep doing the same theme with them. I talked about it earlier in the show. It's just give the people what they want. I just can't imagine ever being the head of a company that has Batman, Superman, The Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Aquaman. Um, Green Arrow, uh, all these characters. I named as many as I could off the top of my head very quickly. Um, the Teen Titans, Cyborg, and do things the way DC does things. <laughs> like I don't like it to me. It's, it's in some ways it's unfathomable, and that's kind of why I you know I, have, I had a conversation with mom actually. Shout out to my mom. <laughs> Talking about DC and that's kind of the frustrations that are there with them because their character, their fans are very rabid and very supportive, and it's great. In many ways, it kind of reminds me of what we talked about with Marvel in regards to how we stuck with Marvel through Thor, the Dark World, and and Iron Man three, and Avengers two, and Iron Man two. Uh, it's great that they have that loyal fan base, but. I would argue that their fan base, who I would say I'm a part of it because I love DC, we deserve better than this. There's no excuse for them to have finagled this situation the way they have. It does not make sense that we don't have a Batman movie. You're announcing Nightwing movies that have a director and no script or no anything else. Um, Now the director can only tell me, uh, keep hope alive in regards to that project. It tells me it's it's alarming that I have no movie after Wonder Woman two that I can look forward to. What are we looking forward to from DC after this besides Birds of Prey? Nothing. I I'm not counting Batman because they seem to be moving at such a snail's pace. We don't know what's happening with that project. We don't even have a Batman. So. Yeah. This was alarming. It continues to be alarming how DC handles uh, their characters, and I think it's a shame. But I'll go from that downer to get us up again, because let's talk about Daredevil Season 3 recap. And boy, was this an epic season. Before we start, of course, there's a spoilers-heavy centric part of the show, so if you've Decided you did not see Daredevil Season 3. You want to come back to this part of the show. Definitely come back. We'll definitely enjoy you. We'll see you guys next week with plenty of the normal news that we have in regards to hero news. We'll have some show recaps next week as well. Back to the normal shows that we cover week to week. 
Um, with that being your warning, again, this is a spoiler-centric recap of Daredevil Season 3. I do want to begin talking about the show and saying that this was probably, this is easily one of the best superhero seasons of any show I've ever watched. Um, I agree with Shamari that Olsen really seemed to bring something different to the table with his, uh, with his, uh, with him being the, the showrunner, I thought that the issues you had in season two with the uneven season, the uneven nature in which that, you know, is a big high, the first seven or eight episodes and it just falls apart at the end. That didn't happen this season. Um, I think the way you kind of, they kind of built up a Wilson Fist, the way they built up a Ben Poindexter, was just masterful character work. And uh, I can't say enough about how much I love this season. Definitely going to be a Jenny uh, juggernaut come this summer. And uh, I would like to see... Uh, I'll go to Kendall first since you talked a little bit about it before, Shamari. Uh, Kendall, what did you make of uh, the Daredevil Season 3? Yeah, Daredevil Season 3 was... Um, it was very strong. Um I thought the stories of Murdoch, uh, I thought Wilson Fisk, Wilson Fisk as a villain, man, was, I mean, that was, and it wasn't necessarily, I mean, Vincent D'Onofrio feels great, and that's not really a surprise, so at this point, you know, kind of taking for granted a little bit, but just the way they wrote the story, and Fisk as just a, a figure in the show, was masterful, like you said. Um, Bullseye, you know, Bullseye is a character that they tried uh, in the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie, and he was very goofy. Yeah, Kyle, shout out to Colin Farrell, who tried his best. Yeah. Uh, did not and, try good well enough. And this this is a character, we'll probably get into him a little bit more, but they did some, I, I thought they did some really good things with Bullseye. Um they maybe fell short, I think, in some areas, but I think for the most part, I was high on Bullseye. Um, and I thought Karen and Foggy also had good seasons. Um, so overall, I thought there were very few weak links in this season. Uh, I liked Agent Nadim very well, uh, very much in this season. Um, so yeah, I, this was a this was a strong season, top three. I think Netflix season of all that's, that's tough to say, but I think I think I would put it in the top three Netflix season of all time, uh, and I'd probably argue Daredevil's best season from start to finish. When you look at this season, Shamari, what were some of the high notes uh, you you saw, whether it be character development, certain moments or episodes? What were some of the high points that uh, you enjoyed the most? There are a lot of high points. In this season, it's hard to even. It's like every episode has a high point. I mean, from the um, uh, from the jump, everything Fisk in prison was a high point. Mm. It was fun seeing him in prison. <laughs> that was not that long. It wasn't that long, but it was fun. Yeah, because he was he was ridiculous. Um, and uh, uh, Ray Nadim and his family—that's a high point. They navigated that so well. Yeah, I was so impressed with how they handled that. And everything that he was going through with his son, 
You, I mean, it was hard. You, you felt for him. You're like, oh my god, you know. It's he his story to me. It's a classic, almost like Shakespeare tragedy. Like yeah. Hap- his his character. Yeah. It's crazy. It's it's crazy. It was that was crazy to see. Um, I mean, that fight scene in episode four was a high point. <coughs> mm. That fight scene in that in the uh, prison. Do you think that was the best fight scene they've done? They told us that it was. I think it was better than season one fight scene at the see at the watch the season two one again the hallway the the stairwell right that scene. that that fight scene for me was the best i've seen on any superhero television series ever mm. that not necessarily in terms of overall fight choreography but just the scene in general I, yeah well i might i probably agree with that honestly. best action scene it's definitely like it's so funny it kind of took me by surprise because I expected something different when they said that yeah, this fight scene was going to be better than the other fight scenes. Because those fight scenes were much more hand-to-hand. Like, it was much more... The emphasis was much more on hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. Where this fight scene, the emphasis was way more on cinematography, lighting, and directing. Now, there Telling is the amazing... There's yeah. amazing... Uh, yeah, and acting. There's nuances in the acting that's incredible. Now, there is great... Uh, choreography and great fighting involved, but it's almost not the it's almost not the 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 forefront in terms of what makes that scene so great. And for that reason, I don't know if it's the best. It's it's like it, to me, it's like it's the best, but it's so it's like almost different than the other ones to me. Like I looked at it differently when I watched. It, I was like, I kind of like stunned. I was like, wow, that was crazy. That definitely had to be the scene, but I don't know even how to compare it to those other scenes i mean it's better than those other scenes because it just the emphasis was to be way more artistic um i don't know if it was as like physically violent violently stimulating in terms of just like wanting to see guys just beat each other's brains in the way we saw the other two scenes uh but it is really good uh it's 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 an excellent work in directing and acting and all that uh all that stuff yeah um so yeah i mean that i mean that fight scene was spectacular um i liked uh the karen episode i thought that you did me, like that episode i enjoyed it i've seen, I've seen me some by, people like it some people not like it. it took me by surprise i didn't think i was gonna like it when i was like oh, I was like, when at first i was it was like oh, it was a flashback i'm like oh we got a karen flashback episode i'm like all right let's get through this come on let's because <laughs> with everything else that was going on i'm like why now yeah, yeah it was, it was, i thought it was poorly uh positioned I, I you know at the time i was like why now why you gotta put that in now with everything that's going on in the show at this point why would you put it but i ended up enjoying it i was like wow this is this is pretty crazy what's going on here you know and it kind of all ties into what happens with her um, and her growth in the season. Um, so I, I would consider that a high point. I thought it was very good. And, um, I mean, of course, every all the fights that Daredevil has with Bullseye, you know, in, in uh, at the bull, at the, the Bulletin. At the church. At, at the church. And then at Fist's place. Well, the the final... That final fight. The final fight scene is as good as any triple threat match that Vince McMahon could, <laughs> could have booked for WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean that. That to me is my favorite scene of the season, and I know it's like it's maybe cliche because it's like, well, it's the last, it's the last main scene in this whole show. But I mean, if you're a comic book fan and you like the stuff that we like, 
us getting that scene, a one-on-one-on-one fight between Bullseye, Daredevil, and Kingpin in a New York penthouse, all hell's breaking loose, no holes barred. I mean, that was awesome. And um and I didn't like that to me was just like seeing that, seeing Wilson you no know, break uh what's the name's back mm-hmm. and, and that being his uh his connection to getting that cybernetic spine. Uh and just I mean, just the brutality of that of that fight scene, just the how they used, you know, they emphasize the color white very often throughout the season. So when you see the red splattered blood all over the place in that penthouse on his suit, like it just it, it it speaks to just like the brutality of like just how everything had turned for Fisk in that moment. I mean, it's just it's just gold. It's mm-hmm. complete gold. You yeah. know, I can't say enough about that last fight scene. Did anyone think that Fisk was not going to make it out this season? I thought there was a chance Bullseye would kill him. Um, I was I was a, I was would, a little worried about that. I was hoping he would, but but. Um... He was hoping he would. Uh, yeah, I was. I mean, I it's because that Fitz been. was just so good a villain. You just wanted him dead. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. That was the only reason. And you wonder about like how much he's kind of served his purpose in many regards. Mm-hmm. But see, I think I love. I love. I really do love what um, Daredevil is doing by keeping Fisk alive because I feel like that. Man, that's been a trope that these movies and TV shows have had, where they just feel like they're better off just to kill off villains. And I don't know. I think a person like that could be way more impactful the longer they stick around. I mean, how many shows we watch, other shows that aren't superhero shows, where a villain or a character that's an evil person sticks around for a long time, even though you want them dead, and how when they eventually do kick the bucket or something bad happens to them. Like it's so much more satisfying because you've seen them, uh, you know, be so evil for so long. Like Game of Thrones, for example, is a great example. Or Ramsay Snow, or someone like that. Like or Cersei, or Cersei, you know, someone who's still alive. Like, like the idea that like those characters can stick around and be so evil and still torment you, and like it kind of drives up the drama. And in comic books, a person like Wilson Fisk doesn't get killed. Like he, he's a they, him and Matt have this song and dance that they pretty much do for the end of time. So while in TV and movie, you know, you know, usual manners, yes, that kind of character after two seasons just kill him off and we're done with him. And Bullseye would have been someone capable of doing that. But I'm just glad they didn't. They didn't have to. And I do think that um, us getting to this now new understanding that him and Matt have also is a great nod to the comic books because it is kind of, they do have an understanding in many ways. There is a respect there. And I just think to show the way they're kind of handling everything, they've done just a great job of just giving a love letter to the fans. That's why I, I dug this season so much because, like, him and Matt shaking hands at the end like that to come to that agreement, like, it's so Daredevil and Fisk. Like, that would have happened in the comic books. It has happened in the comic books. Different iterations, and um, and I just, I, I just, and I thought it was great also because then it also kind of took the, it, it, it gave them an opportunity when they moved the story forward to not have it be the constant thing of, at some point Fist's gonna kill Foggy or 
page. Like, when is that going to happen? And perhaps it probably, it may or even probably still will, but not having that just be the overarching thing of, like, why isn't Karen fearing for her, like, every time she's walking around the corner? Like, couldn't someone from Fist just kill her right now? Like, that's something that you couldn't continue. But him kind of being that lingering threat, like, kind of like we saw in season two, it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I agree. I, see that. I mean, I mean, um, it's like one of those, it's one of those things where it's like he was so evil. I wanted him gone, <laughs> but like I didn't really want him gone because he was so he was so good in the season, you know. And I think having they're lucky to have someone like Denofrio to play that character. He does it so so well. Like it's just he, he has it mastered. Yeah. Um, at this point, and playing uh, Wilson Fisk, and I think he's um, he's probably my one of. He's definitely one of my favorite villains in any comic book, anything that we've seen, animated or live action. This Wilson Fisk is so, so captivating. Yeah. Like, he's an amazing villain. So, I mean, Daredevil, they really had something special with this guy. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, it's probably good that he's not gone, for that they didn't get rid of him for good. I think next season they should definitely focus on somebody else. Um, I think it will be Bullseye. You think it will be Bullseye? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, that last shot of him, mm-hmm. Bullseye in his eye. I'll be honest, I thought that was a little corny. I didn't mind it. He was so good in the season, I didn't even care. I mean, my thing, I don't think they need to have him open his eyes during the surgery and show a Bullseye mark on his eye. Oh, no, they didn't have to do that That all. was corny. But the, the scene, I, I mean, I thought that that was the right scene to end on. I just thought the ending of it, I'm like, oh, you do not have to do that. I was like, please don't open your eyes. I was thinking, I kept saying that, please don't open your eyes. Please don't open your eyes. And of course, he opens his eyes. It's a Bullseye symbol. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I didn't need that, but um, sorry. Go, but I think I think it will be Bullseye. I think he comes back, and I mean, I think this song and dance of these three might not have ended. I think this what, may be what we go into season four with. What you guys? What you guys think of Bullseye? I thought he was spectacular. Yeah, I mean, I thought that this Bullseye was pretty much. All I could have really asked yeah, all for, I really, yeah. In terms Honestly. of action, personality, uh, he was just great, man. I mean, I, I, yeah, there's and he, nothing. And he he acted the hell out of that role. He did. He I, did an amazing yeah, job. Yeah, Bethel deserves a lot of credit for that. They definitely. Um, that was not an easy role. That wasn't a. You're just an action character. Throw some cards, throw some knives, and like just whatever. Yeah, exactly. like just be a stunt double. Like they gave this guy a real backstory, a real uh, emotional, very emotional uh, spectrum yeah. that was wild and all over the place. This was not an easy role at all, and he didn't mail it in with what they yeah. gave him. And I think that's what made it so strong to me was that you no, know, like another actor may not have been able to kind of portray someone with that kind of level of of psychotic behavior <laughs> you know like i mean mm-hmm. his therapist wrote like when she he admitted that he killed that guy the baseball coach like pervy yeah. to psychotic behavior like that she, she called like, psychopathic yeah tendencies. psychopathic tendencies or whatever like that's not an easy character to play with any nuance you can write that character but it could be very one note this was not a one note character at all they made this guy extremely nuanced and it makes me excited to to see how they advance him. And I think the 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 thing about Bullseye is that you know you have to you have to always feel like he's in the room. He's just like a, an imminent threat because that's what he is. 
And that's what I felt. Whenever he was in any room with anybody that I cared about, I was like, this person, he can kill this person at any second. And if they're doing that, then that means they're doing a great job. And then also, how do you display this guy's powers? Are you able to do it effectively? And they did that completely uh, awesome. You know, they didn't, they didn't miss any, they didn't miss any notes in terms of how you relay a character like uh, Bullseye's abilities and how dangerous they are on screen. We saw him kill people with pretty much any kind of projectile imaginable, including, of course, a gun. And uh, I thought the Bullseye character was awesome, Kendall. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you said everything positive about the character. Uh, but you said the way in which they illustrated his accuracy uh, and his his style of fighting, how, like, you know, when... When he would be when he'd be fighting Fisk or Murdoch, and he was in close quarters with them, he was you can tell he was not nearly as strong as exactly them, or not nearly as physically talented a fighter, but at a distance he was deadly, lethal, and um, like you said, Wilson Bethel did an excellent job of portraying the character. Um, his story was was one that you wanted to learn more about. You know, sometimes they introduce these characters where I don't really care about this guy's backstory uh, or how he got to this level. Uh, but that really wasn't the case with uh, this Bullseye character. I guess the only the only negatives I have with the character is not really him as much as it is. Um, I feel like there were some similarities between him and uh, Typhoid Mary, who we saw, uh, who we had just seen in Iron Fist. Um, different, different mental illness, but I, I thought a kind of a similar, kind of a similar role. Um, and then I just feel like it's becoming now a, I won't say a trope, but you know, they're making like these villains, just people with mental illnesses right, and, and superpowers. Um, and you could argue it's probably realistic, you know? Most superheroes probably do have some sort of mental illness, but um, I we had just seen it with Typhoid Mary, so that's why that's the only reason why I felt like it was very similar. But um, also him being ex-military, but uh, and then beyond that, I just I I just did also I didn't like how he was in the Daredevil costume. Too, I thought he was in the Daredevil costume too much. You know, I understand that it was it was part of the story. You know, he was supposed to be framing Daredevil, and they're supposed to be making Daredevil out to be, you know, a fugitive. Um, but just, I don't know, from an optics perspective, I really didn't care for Bullseye being Daredevil all season. Um, and then there was the one scene where, you know, him and Nadim are pulling up to the church. Yeah. And he's in, the, he's in the Daredevil costume in the car and just gets out. And I'm like, nobody... Just sees this guy dressed as Daredevil. Like I, I understand, like I mean, it was dark. It was yeah. I understand it's nighttime, but it's like generally, you know, Daredevil doesn't just walk on the sidewalks. You know, he's the top of buildings. You know, well, he's a bad. He's he's, he's shown he's a bad Daredevil. Kendall. he is killing people. That's true. I, I don't know. <laughs> he I wasn't trying like, to be a good Daredevil. These guys aren't trying to keep a low profile at all. They didn't have to. Fisk was made them a made made them made men. That's true. That's true. But. 
Um, but yeah, overall though, I thought that that character was uh, was executed almost I almost perfectly, and you know, hopefully there's a future for that character because he looks he looks like uh, it looks like they did a good job with him. Yeah, um, I mean, I think with. I mean, I, I well, I, I definitely see what you're, what you're saying with the whole thing with the mental illnesses, and then being they're kind of being a, a trend, yeah, a possible trend, kind of going along with that. Um, I mean, I think that I think with Bullseye they went a lot further with it in I terms agree. of showing his actual therapist and showing the his past and and things like that. With Typhoid Mary is just okay. She's crazy, you know. And it says, yeah, there's a file that says she has a mental illness. I'd almost argue that Bullseye isn't mentally ill. If you really think about it. I mean, is some is someone who suffers from psychosis actually mentally ill? I mean, maybe you guys would know better than me. But like, I mean, ill is a strong word, but dealing with some, some sort like of he, mental health. He was going to a therapist, but, like, the therapist realized... It kind of, I mean, now this goes into kind of a just a larger conversation yeah. about morality. But, like, I mean... The therapist, he he says he likes to kill people. He enjoys killing people. I mean, then there's a question of is that someone who's actually mentally ill or is that someone who is just morally, you know, corrupt? And the therapist was maybe the best person to kind of keep him in line, but was what he was suffering. It's like any mass murderer, any, you know, serial killer, all these people, we could make a case, have some kind of mental illness. But does everyone who kills everyone have mental illness? You know, that's, that's, I think that, to me, him and Typho Mary are different to me, because Typho Mary has schizophrenia. I mean, that is an actual mental illness, for sure. Um, Bull, I mean, Dex, he's someone who, like, you know, with the wrong person following them, you know, guiding him could do horrible things, but he already had been shown to be capable of doing horrible things without anyone to follow. So, I I think there was a lot more. I think all these things, all these questions I'm raising, I think suggest to me that there was a a lot more nuance to him that maybe not that made me potentially forgive what I do think is a bad trope that uh yeah the villain has to have some kind of mental health issue that doesn't always have to be the case. Sometimes people are just bad people, but um but I think like was Fist, for example like Fist yeah Fist has no mental health and again you can make the case that everyone has some mental condition there's something wrong with everyone but in terms of like an uh, obvious mental health thing that they're trying to explain exactly. they don't they don't go that route with fists and they don't have to they don't go that route with davos you know they you know they're just bad people sometimes and i think going that route with bullseye actually makes sense i think it kind of moves you away eventually from what he becomes because the bullseye that we see in the comic books is just like a psychopathic killer like that's just what he is. We don't. Yeah. There isn't. I mean, there are stories about his past and stuff, and I like that they did actually bring in the baseball thing because there is like an origin story that he was like a great baseball pitcher and he threw the ball uh, at a guy's head and killed the guy. Like I like that they mixed that into his childhood. That was a sm- smart way to kind of do that and give a nod to the comics. But, um, but yeah, I I would argue kind of like I don't know if he really qualifies in regards to the. In mental health, in the same way someone like Typhoid Mary does. Um, on the on the Dean, real quickly, I would say that that I enjoyed him, and 
I think that what made this also show so strong was how they were able to kind of they laid the groundwork of how someone like him could be played by Fisk, but then seeing it kind of play out in ways that maybe we didn't really expect was also cool. Because you you hear okay he has money problems you think okay this is a typical give him he's money give him some money and all this goes away. But like how Fisk kind of broke him down once again was way more nuanced than that. You know it, you know him, allowing him to kind of see the corruption then to report it because he is the upstanding person that he is to then uh, allow himself to be in the middle of a blackmail uh, trap, basically. Like, just all that worked because it all, it all ended in the end, which again makes that story so tragic. It all was, it all was kind of through his own ambition, which he admits, you know. Like, he wanted that job so that he could get more money, so that he could show he was more than, he said, like he said, more than the average federal a government worker and it shows like just how Fisk can like masterfully manipulate people I think that was something that they did a great job of this season I think the last season season one with Fisk you know well season two with Fisk you don't see him really he manipulates Punisher a little bit because he does get him to kind of say what he needs to do in the court but uh but we don't see that manipulation much in season one we already kind of see him kind of at a, a good place where he doesn't have to have to really manipulate anyone he already is in power so here, where it's like he's kind of at ground zero, and you have to see him kind of work his way up to the place that he gets to, I think it was awesome to see him kind of manipulate Nadim, manipulate Dex to get to where he needed to go. Uh, it was just it was an unbelievable job. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other things I wanted to touch on before we get out of here. Oh, well, well this, was the, they, they, this was the debut of Sister Maggie. What did we think of how they handled her? I love how they handled that. I thought that was another high point. Was how they handled the whole Sister Maggie storyline. Right. Um, that was very. That was really well done. Um, though Matt was kind of. I, th- I feel like Matt was. Matt was. I think if there was anything that I think could have been better, I mean, Matt was super sulky like the whole season, or uh, like a, a. I mean, which I mean, not that he didn't have any reason to be, but it was just. <laughs> but it was just like. It got to a point, and then with the whole Sister Maggie, and then he's like, oh, I hate you, blah, blah, blah. He didn't say that, but that was kind of the, the whole thing. It's just like, okay, come on. like, I want, I want to see him like just be Daredevil. But Matt is like, kind of, but to be Daredevil, he kind of has to be miserable. It's almost like that Batman like kind of complex with him. Where, yeah. Like, I mean, even with, is, even with the first two seasons. He kind of is never like, happy. <laughs> I feel like with the first two seasons, though, there was like, there was a light to him. Even as, like, especially as, like, Matt Murdock, even, you know? But in this season, it's like, oh, Matt Murdock is dead, and, like, he's just Daredevil, and he's like, I'm gonna kill us and Fisk, like, the whole season. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it was just like, I don't know. It was, I was just like, yeah, all right. I mean, he's a dark Matt, you know, doesn't like, you know, giving up on everybody. And then at the very end, he's light Matt. And I'm like, okay, finally, we get yeah, some some kind of light from him, but like, um, but yeah, I, going back to the Sister Maggie thing, I thought Sister Maggie was great, and I thought the actress Joanne Willie, I thought she did a spectacular job as too. well. She did a fantastic job. Yeah, the only thing I, I did like the backstory. Uh, the only thing that I wasn't a huge fan of was, at least from my perspective, like I I had come into this knowing that Sister Maggie was his mother, right? So. 
like they made that like a huge twist and I was like was that supposed to be a huge twist? I don't know. You know, it was confusing. Well, he, um, I mean, we know that he doesn't know. Yeah. It's, it's a twist within this kayfabe story from taking a wrestling term. Right. Like, yeah, for me, I wasn't even clear initially that he didn't know for me. Really? And Really? Yeah. And so when it happened, like, I realized what had happened. I was like, oh, Jesus wow. Know. I don't know how you yeah. missed that. But, like, also, like, just from the perspective of a viewer, like, it was supposed to be surprising that that was his mother. At least some sort. Of, I mean, right. some people might have guessed based off of the way the story had been told, but um, it wasn't explicitly said. But for me, it was like, you know, I watched the whole season already thinking, "Oh, that's his mother." So, I mean, I I would disagree in the fact that that couldn't have been impactful as a twist. Um. I have a problem with the twist, but it's not how what you're well, not what you're saying in that because I feel like Daredevil is not one of those characters where like I don't know if there was a character like you know May Parker and it, you know for some reason they told a story where Peter didn't know who Aunt May was and eventually she is revealed that it's Aunt May I knew it was May Parker like yeah that would be ridiculous because like if you don't know who May Parker is I mean I mean you don't know you really don't know anything about Spider Man right like. With Daredevil, he's a lot lower in regards to record, recognizing, recognition. What's the word I'm looking for? Rec- recognition. Recognition, I guess, or I don't know. Uh, in terms of just like being as well as well known as someone like Spider Man and knowing the people around him, a lot of people may know about Daredevil or Daredevil of Daredevil, but do they really know his surrounding characters? I don't think a lot of people know Foggy Nelson or know a Matt, sister Maggie. Those aren't household names the way May Parker is or Mary Jane Watson is. Um, so I, I disagree with that. I think there are a lot of people who watch Daredevil at this point who, yes, maybe they, they found out because they watched season one and then read up on it and learned that Sister Maggie was his mother. But I think there are also a lot of people who don't watch, uh, don't read comics, don't aren't really that into it, who didn't know that that was going to be his mother. I, I think that... No, yeah, I, yeah I'm not, I, don't, I can't speak for everybody. I'm just saying for myself, I had known. So I was like... That wasn't a big deal for me. My the issue I had with the twist was only that it seemed very random. I don't know if they set up him being his mother well enough to me. I love Sister Maggie. I think her character, the way she played it, was great. There was really nothing involving her portrayal, but I just felt like when she made that reveal, it kind of just felt like out of nowhere, like you know, oh well, now Matt knows. Uh, that's a little weird, and also. For someone who has super hearing, it would be surprising to me that that would be the first time he would have heard her pray about her son. Because remember, he's known Sister Maggie since he was a kid. So that seems unbelievable that that's how he would find out. He'd overhear her talking about Matt being her son. Maybe Sister. Maybe he didn't connect maybe, Or maybe Sister just decided that like she was not going to talk about it ever. Because we see with the postpartum depression and stuff, there there's evidence to suggest maybe that's what they were going for. But I just thought that, like, the idea that, like, she would slip up and that, like, oh, well, damn, you caught me. I was like, you've been around him his, a lot of his childhood, and then you've been around him all these months. You've never once said anything about him within his earshot. We know his earshot is, he could be blocks away. He could hear people if he's looking for it. You know, that seemed... I, I wish there was a better way he could have found out. I, I think that that was the one thing I looked at. I was like, yeah, I think that's a messed up. Mm. 
I hear you. That didn't bother me, but I definitely understand where you're going. Um, in terms of things we, other things we may have not liked, Kendall, was there anything that you also maybe weren't a fan of? Um, I don't know. You know, it, it was. I mean, that story is one of those stories where, like, the whole Fisk uh, controlling everything from the inside. Uh, I guess it was one of those things. Maybe I, I wish I would have had a little more detail into how he did some of the things he did, um, at least especially early on. Yeah. They, they made it more clear as the series went on, like, this is how we operate. This is how he, he got this empire or whatever. But early on, things were just happening. I was like, I guess Fisk just controls everything. You know, yeah. but then he's supposedly, you know, in a box. But uh, beyond that, um, I thought that was one of the only few kind of things I wish they would have expanded upon. Yeah, there is a lot of the, you know, Fisk, like, just did this because he's Fisk. But I almost feel like I can give him a pass for it because we see how he worked in Dean. That I almost can just kind of exactly. together, yeah, like, kind of the, well, if he did this in the Dean, the idea that. He's not dealing with the Dean 24 hours a day. I'm sure he's working on other people. And the idea that he couldn't also have worked other people to get things that he needed is ridiculous. Of course he could do it. He's shown he's a master at this kind of thing. We see him working Dean. We see him work uh, Dex. So that's kind of all we really need to know. We see him work a psychopath and someone who's a very normal, honorable person. <laughs> so he can get anyone really to do his bidding. So I was okay with that. I think honestly, my issue, my only major issue with the show does could include does relate to Fisk, and it's the inclusion of Vanessa. Really? Yeah. Really. Um. I I just felt like I just felt like she was not needed. I don't know what she really brought to the table other than a distraction and someone for, uh, and just a nice prop. In the end, triple threat climax fight scene. I, know, I completely disagree. I'll I feel, let I me like, let me explain my case, and I'll tell you why you just why. Then you can explain why you disagree. Sure. Um. To me, I didn't quite really get Vanessa's beef with Wilson when she came back. First of all, I think when you're dropping somebody in episode eleven or twelve, that like. Was a big character, but just like not someone that is like in the forefront of my mind when I think of Daredevil. And you're, you're you make so much of the story around that character when I've already been invested in a whole different story and different characters. It's a tough thing for to get to me to do. I'm invested in Dex and Karen and Foggy and Matt and Wilson, um, and Nadine. Dropping in a Vanessa and now making her kind of the center of really now everything that happens moving forward. At episode 11 is a lot. You do that at 6 or 7, I can maybe live with it. And then for a whole episode, you have her kind of just do this kind of aloof game with Wilson where she's like, I'm, I don't feel like it. Leave me alone. You don't know what the hell is her problem. Then, you know, the reveal supposed to be, oh, her problem is not that she doesn't want anything to do with Wilson because of who he is. She wants part in who he is. Which, I don't know if I need a whole episode of that game that she played with him. Uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't need that. That was why I thought were kind of wasted scenes. Um, seeing Wilson, I think it's important to show Wilson's love for Vanessa and how that really, truly is his only vulnerable weak spot. But 
I don't know if I see the, I don't know if they a whole episode of him looking that way. Especially when so much goes wrong for him. Everything goes everything turns when Vanessa arrives, basically. Everything's going great until she shows up. So it kinda like the teeth that they gave this dude over the last the, the previous two or three episodes and how he turned everything around, I thought got taken away as soon as Vanessa steps off that helicopter. And and I don't know. I, I just I and I just didn't I just didn't get enough to me, and those I thought that her in, inclusion should have either been earlier or just not at all. Well, I definitely think that I think I definitely think she needed to be in the series. I I probably would have been upset had she never shown up. I would have too because they kept mentioning her. Yeah, and she's such a big yeah exactly, and she's such a big part of uh, of his character. Honestly, yeah. that's my main thing is that she's such a she's a huge part of. His character, yeah. Going back to season one, I mean, I mean, she is like she like she is. There's him, and then ev- like basically everything he does is for her. You know, um, I mean, yeah, he was kind of a big boss in season one, and then he met Vanessa, and then he was everything was about Vanessa. You know, and then going into this season, from the start, he's like, "Is Vanessa comfortable?" Is she being kept safe? Felix. What is Felix? What I love how he goes. Yeah. Fe- tell Felix to protect Vanessa. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like, Jesus got Felix, man. But then we finally see Felix. But Where like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I, I was like, yeah, we ne- we needed to see Vanessa in this in this um, in this season, and I I think they included her. I think they included her at the right time. I think if they included her er- earlier. I feel like this, this all would have kind of dragged out with her, you know, with her just kind of being there and Fist doing all this crazy stuff. I feel like it all kind of came to a head when she arrived, and I feel like that was just, I feel like that was kind of just the boiling point of everything. I, I just I just feel like it, it made sense. I understand, like, the whole thing with her being, like, aloof. That was kind of getting on my nerves, too. And then they explained it, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but at first I was like... I'll kind of the same thing. I was like, I was like, kind of like this. But like, I also feel like I don't know if that turn of her deciding that no, I want to be a part of the mass murdering and and taking advantage of people. I want to be part mm-hmm. of the crime world. To me, I don't know if that's a, like Kendall mentioned the Maggie thing. Like, to me, I think that this is like a worse example of something that's not a turn for me. And it doesn't do with what I know about Vanessa. It's just like you're involved with a crime boss. Like the idea that you at at least don't enjoy. It a little bit of what he does is not believable. You you are involved, you love this crime boss, you are you live in his home, you are you are connected to him in a very important way. They've never really displayed your character to be someone who has shied away from that. I kind of feel like we kind of were done away with this like part of Vanessa where she's like on the fence about what Wilson does. I felt like we kind of already knew this. Maybe I have to watch season 1 again. But like that whole thing of her doing it only so that she can make a shot to call some kill somebody, I'm like, I thought we played this game already, where like Fist didn't know if he should put Vanessa involved. Vanessa's like, I'm here for you no matter what, and he blows up half of New York. Wasn't that enough for her to know that what Wilson is doing and that she's now connected? You know, the difference now is that you know Wilson, she doesn't want Wilson to hide it from her. I, that just wasn't enough for me to, to have a whole episode where you played this game where all those scenes to me were useless. The only thing he showed me was his love for Vanessa, which I guess is important because it, it makes that last scene also more powerful because he's trying to kill 
Deadpool, uh, De- uh, uh, Daredevil and Bullseye, but then also protect Vanessa. Like, he's brutally trying to kill these guys, but then he also has to protect her. He can't let his thirst for wanting to kill those guys be sacrificed. Um, or he has to sacrifice it for for Vanessa. So, But that's all those scenes did for me. Kendall, what do you say about my feelings about the Vanessa edition? Yeah, I mean, I see where... I mean, I see where your, your uh, negative feelings come from. Uh, for me, I feel like... I agree with you guys where I say, like, because... Like, when they were referencing her early on, I was like, this can be one of those things where we have, like, an off-screen character that's, like, important but never shows up. <laughs> oh, that's going to be ridiculous. <laughs> but when she shows up, it, it surprises me. I was like, it's, like, episode, what, 11? If she shows up, I'm like, okay, this is late. But, um, or episode 12, and by that point, now I'm like, I, you know, then I start to think back to season one and her inclusion there. Um... And like Shamari said, I feel like the only reason why I don't mind her just being thrown into the story and playing such a big role in Fisk's immediate demise is she's always been branded as Fisk's weakness, mm. for lack of a better term. Yeah. And that the way they the way you really framed it, how he was so on the money when she wasn't around. <laughs> and when she did show up, then he was off his A game, and you know he wasn't really as concerned about uh, making sure he crossed all his T's and dotted all of his eyes. He was making sure how does Vanessa feel about all this, and he got sloppy, and that ultimately was his end. Um, I feel like that coupled with that her just overall importance to this character, you know, I feel like it made sense why she was included and why she was ultimately kind of the tipping point for Team Daredevil. Um, I just, I mean, I don't, I, I would, I would say maybe she should have been in it a little more, but honestly, I think she was in it the right amount. She was referenced a lot off screen, which made sense. Because we really didn't need her to understand her relevance and her importance to Fisk. Yeah. But we did need her at some point to play a factor, and she did. Um, I do I do think that the the I want to be evil twist, I agree, was kind of like, you know, duh, 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 like, you know, really? But, <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, it kind of had to be done because it hadn't. I don't think it had explicitly been done, uh, where she was like a part of the operations and she was calling the shots. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Also, was her accent always that thick? It's <laughs> funny you mentioned that. I was thinking the same thing. I was watching. I was like, I didn't realize she was like you know straight from Italy, wherever she's from. I, I knew she was Italian. I knew she had an. I think she had an she accent. Had an accent. She did have an accent. I, it did feel more profound. It did feel season. a little more, yeah. I, I, I have, have to, to watch re- season yeah, one. I have to re-watch. It's been so long, I can't say yeah, for sure. I but right. I did kind of notice I'm like, there were a couple times like, ooh, she's playing on axis thick. I, you know, I kind of dug it though. Like I, I, I thought that that I kind of, for whatever reason, I kind of dug that like Fisk had this, like the idea that yes, it had to be like a, a woman who was foreign that like would 
be so in love with someone like Wilson. That would make sense to me. So right. I dug it. It just was. It did. It did strike me. It's like, oh wow, I don't remember that being that thick. But maybe I just don't remember. It was that long ago. Um, I also. <laughs> This is my last thing on this because we got to get out of here and it would do our numbers for the season. I also thought that was interesting how they got the Carbone, uh, they got Miss Carbone in this season and how I feel like, man, she would have been a big factor in Luke Cage season three for sure because she got some, a lot of, someone who was a big character, she got a lot of airtime and a lot of, you know, she got some lines like, Seeing her as like, yeah, this was not. They were setting. They were using her to set up something with Luke Cage that we never got. So that's kind of sucks. R.I.P. Yeah. Um. Let's do. Uh. Let's do score, Shamari. Uh, out of ten, what are you giving Daredevil season three? I give it a nine point three. I was very very impressed. It was fantastic season. I was hooked from start to finish. I binged the whole thing in a weekend. All the actors did a great job. The writers did a great job. I mean, of course, it wasn't absolutely perfect, but it was it was still spectacular. I loved it. So I'm going 9.3. Kendall? I'm going to go... Yeah, I'm going to go around that. I'm going to go 9.2. Um, you know, I wish we would have gotten, you know, Daredevil in his actual costume or yeah. a new costume. You know? I didn't really like the whole black, the whole black, uh, black costume for the whole season, but the story was perfect, uh, nearly perfect, and the characters and act, acting jobs were uh, amazing. It was, you know, it's one of those things you can't really take for granted, like how like good that was. Like it was almost Dark Knight level, like quality storytelling. Uh, I'm gonna go nine. Really great season. Acting was A1. The origin of Bullseye is something that's going to be remembered. Um, especially for a character that really didn't, hasn't sometimes gotten that just, uh, in, that just due in regards to his backstory and what makes him tick. Matt's evolution, they, we knew the Rebirth storyline was going to be an, infl- uh, an uh, influence and inspiration for the season. By the end, you feel like he is reborn. We have a new law firm. A law firm. We don't know the order of the names, but it is uh, Nelson, Murdoch, and Page in some kind of order. It does feel like a rebirth for him. But it's not just a rebirth for him. It's a rebirth for Foggy. Uh, it's a rebirth for Karen. It, it's kind of like a rebirth for a lot of characters. And it's the the actual birth of Bullseye. So sticking with that theme, they, they, they used it to a T. Um... My only gripe, the Vanessa thing was distracting enough to me to, to knock off some points that would have been even higher. Um, I think at times I felt like the Karen Pace character acted so recklessly that it was annoying. Uh, I agree with that. You know, like, I, I like her, I root for her, but, like, sometimes, just, and maybe it's just who, who she's supposed to be. But sometimes she's just doing things I'm like, yeah, yeah, you just want to be killed? Yeah, I agree with that. You know? I'm just like, and then part of you thinks maybe she does when you learn her backstory. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. there are those kind of people who kind of want death by cop or death by fisk. Like you made the case that when she went to his penthouse, that that was what she was doing, yeah. suicide by fisk. Like, but that's it's it is annoying when you're trying to advance you as you as the person rooting for the protagonist in the story, 
wants authority to advance in his light, and you feel like someone's being a detriment to that who's not supposed to be evil. Uh, but no, I, I mean, I, I like a lot of elements. I like how they, uh, you know, they definitely, again, another show that made ties to what's happening with our current federal government and 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 using politics to also kind of play tell this story with someone like the DA of uh, of Manhattan. No, this is a lot of a lot of great stuff in this season. I, I really enjoyed it and man, Netflix, they're gonna have a problem on their hands. They wanna cancel season four of their though. That cannot happen after what we saw. Yeah. And I'm maybe speaking on it, I'm jinxing it, but I'm willing to say that they cannot let that happen. I'm shocked that this um Eric Olson, he's coming off of what, Arrow season three? With Raish? Was he Arrow I thought he was I wasn't sure he was season I thought he was season two. Maybe I, I'm wrong. I thought he was season three. That's when I looked it up. They said season three. I'm, okay. like, I'm like, he did the Raish? Raish al Ghul? And he, now he does. <laughs> then he goes up from that to this. Like, this is a huge upgrade. Um, if you're right about that, then yes, I would say that is a that is a massive upgrade in, in his uh, work. Though I would argue what we argued about that show all the time was that, to me, like Raish was like the Brock Lesnar of the show and that like he mm. was great when he's around he just right. was never around so yeah. maybe like and with him with this show he had the luxury of having fisk for all 13 episodes yeah maybe three. yeah you're right i looked it up too maybe if like he could have raced for all 20 maybe we would have something different i don't know but yeah you're right that is crazy that that he did the same person that did arrow season three uh you could make this case that was a turning point and when the show really started to dive that he did this work because this work was phenomenal but I think that's a good place to wrap it, guys. So thank you guys so much for listening to the episode of the New Generation Hero Talk Podcast, our Daredevil Season 3 recap. Make sure you check out all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Follow us on YouTube and make sure you subscribe uh, to New Generation Media. Follow us on Facebook, New Generation Media. Follow us on Twitter at New Generation Pod and on Instagram at New Generation Podcast. Follow Shamari on Instagram and MC Sham and and excuse me, uh, uh, Snapchat on MC Sham Twenty Two. Follow me on Twitter at DJ underscore Stewart and on Instagram at Action DJ. That does it for now. We'll be back next week with more Hero Talk for Shamari for Kendall. I'm EJ. Peace.